0: invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Psalms, and uh, we'll read there in just a moment. Just a moment. Oh, what well, a good day, a good day, a good day to worship the Lord. Uh, whenever I uh, witness baptisms, I'm sure like you, it, it reminds me of who God is and what God does. And how he changes, changes our lives. I was talking to a, a brother recently this week uh, who's getting ready to come on as a deacon. We were standing in a fellowship hall. I'll tell you, it was, it was Brother Ronnie. And uh, he was uh, made the statement saying, You know, God has really changed my life. I really. And continues. Continues to bring change to all of us. So, over the last couple of weeks, I've done my best to try to communicate that we have a missional God. He is a God on mission. And that the main message of the Bible from beginning to end is God has a purpose. And his purpose was for all of his creation uh, to to exalt his name, to bring him glory and honor. All of that is rooted in the gospel. It's always been God's eternal purpose to send Jesus Christ, his son. It wasn't an afterthought after what happened in the garden after the fall that God just then, well, I better react and do something. No, this has been God's eternal purpose. His plan has never changed, and that is for all peoples, all nations to know Christ, and to honor and worship him. God has a purpose, a plan, and he has some personnel. Uh, We're it. Jesus was sent by the Father. God sent him on mission, and Jesus said to his disciples and says to us, so I am sending you. We are to live missional lives with the promise of power. Uh, I will not ever leave you nor forsake you, Jesus said to his disciples. He says to us and and, his, and indwelled us with his spirit that we would be empowered to be his witnesses. In the New Testament, regarding all of this mission activity, we see a pattern. Jesus defeated death and was resurrected, and when he began to appear to his disciples for that 40-day period before he ascended back to the Father, he was appearing to his disciples for a couple of reasons. One is to demonstrate that he was alive, that he was resurrected exactly as he told them he would be. But second, it was also to teach them from the scriptures concerning himself. We saw that pattern, right? As Jesus appeared to these disciples, he would teach them from the scriptures. And and the Bible says he taught them concerning himself from the law of Moses. He taught them from the Psalms and he taught them from the prophets. I would have very much would have liked to have heard that lesson. Hearing Jesus take the scriptures and expound to them concerning himself to those disciples. The Bible says from all of those areas, which makes the point that all of the Bible is about him. We've seen that, but it also makes another point that there is a pattern. Jesus was setting an example to his disciples on this is how you make disciples. There is a pattern. And the key is for us to figure out ways as his people how do we draw other people into the scriptures in order for God to speak to them and to reveal himself to them? All of us who have been saved met Jesus in the scriptures. We met him through the scripture. We heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit began to quicken us and stir us and draw us and to convict us of his sin and sin. Uh, of our sin and his righteousness and judgment. And so God began to initiate and work through the scriptures. And so our job is to follow those scriptures the same way. Sounds like a good reason to me to emphasize Sunday school. I'm just, just throw it out there. If we will just gather together, it doesn't matter the age. You get little kids in a room or students in a room or us grown-up folks into a room and we bring our Bibles and we open our Bibles together and we begin to read and hear and discuss and think about the Scriptures, God will speak and God will work. And I want to say this to also some of you. Um, uh, there's more of you that could be teachers. Now, you may not feel like you're an expert or a professional Sunday school teacher, but if you're faithful to pray... And faithful to the word, if you just open up the word, God will do his work through the scriptures. So I just want to urge all of you to get into a group, to get connected somewhere. And for those of us who are in groups and classes, to get aggressive and go after other people, to reach them, to get them into the scriptures. That's where we meet Jesus over the span of my ministry, there have been some individuals who have had significant influence, I'd say, of the last 40 years during my time of pastoring that have had influence on the American church, and I'm not going to list all of their names, but I think there's several. But in the area of missions, I would say in the last 15 to 20 years, there have been two men that God has used in significant ways to have impact on the church regarding Missions. And in our own convention, I would say one of those guys has been David Platt. David has been uh, effective, especially at connecting with younger pastors and younger audiences to make us aware of the nations and reaching the nations with the gospel. And the other one has been John Piper. In 1993, Piper published the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, And in that book, he emphasizes the glory of God and God's heart and passion for the unreached, for the nations. And I quote, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God in his glory is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the enjoyment of God's glory. End of quote. He went on to say as well, God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. I want you to think about that. How is God glorified in your life? How is God glorified in my life? God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. The text that I want to read with you this morning is from Psalm 96 and it's a text about missions. It's also about worshiping and bringing God glory and singing, as well as advancing this good news to the nations. Before we read it together, the background of Psalm 96 is found in First Chronicles. Uh, some of you know the Old Testament in First Chronicles 13 through 16. There's an account of King David when he comes on his throne and begins to rule over the nation he establishes a tabernacle a tent there in the city of Jerusalem and decides to bring the ark of the covenant and to set it among God's people and if you remember the ark of the covenant represented God's presence among them and so in preparation for that David the king appoints the levites to carry the ark of the covenant and he appoints singers and musicians to lead the procession. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, let me read this before we read our text because this is the background. But 1 Chronicles 15, let me read just a few verses with you. And it says, And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by the poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music stringed instruments, harps and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen as were all the Levites who bore the ark. The singers and Chenaniah, the music master with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. And all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horns and with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michal, Saul's daughter, who was David's wife, looked through a window and saw her husband, King David, whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the Ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. This was a huge celebration for Israel God's presence was with them to to lead them and to rule and to reign among them. And so the trumpets and the harps and the lyres were all cranked up and people were singing and dancing. They weren't Baptists, but they were excited. And the Bible says David dances so hard He's full of such joy and exuberance that it just flows out. And when his wife sees his worship unto the Lord, she despised it. She was embarrassed by it. David, in Psalm 96, pens this song. Psalm 96 is a song to be sung. It was a song to be raised to the Lord describing this ark of God's presence coming in among his people read it with me psalm 96 oh sing to the lord a new song sing to the lord all the earth sing to the lord bless his name proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, tremble before him all the earth, say among the nations, the Lord reigns, the world also is firmly established, it shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Let's pray. God, would you transform us into the image of Christ Jesus, the King, as we see your word, as we read it, as we hear it, provide us with understanding and move us to find greater satisfaction in you for your glory. We pray for you to Prepare us to bring our offerings before you today that we would give our very best to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to see a few things from this text, so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to keep it open. First, you see something here at the very beginning in the first three verses about the theology of worship and specifically about the theology of singing. The Psalms is and are a 30,000 word hymnal, 30,000 word hymnal. Hang on a minute, I'm tearing up and I can't see and my nose is running. <laughs> uh, these Psalms are three times longer than the Gospel of Mark three times longer than the book of Revelation, four times longer than Romans. There are more than 500 references in the Psalms to singing, and 100 of those references are in the form of a command. God's people, God's church is commanded to sing to the Lord. And as you study the Bible, a distinctive mark of being a Christian, a follower of Christ, is singing. When Muslims gather for worship, there is no singing. When Hindus gather for worship, they don't sing, nor do Buddhists. Psalm 96 commands God's people to sing and to sing new songs. Nothing wrong with the old songs, Right? It's good to remember the past and to sing old songs. Many of the psalms do that very thing. They reflect back on God's greatness and his glory and his deliverance and his provisions. And so many of the songs reflect back on who God is and what God has done. However, Psalm 33 and 40 and 96 and 98 and 144 and 149, those psalms all exhort us to sing new songs why new songs well because god's mercies are new and because you and i are moving forward with god in faith new mercies cry out for new songs especially songs that are built upon the scriptures and songs that are built upon the testimonies of god's people that give him glory he'll crest we are to be a singing people we are to be a singing church Some of you, like me, started singing when you were a little boy or a little girl. Most children do. Growing up in my church, I listened to singing and learned songs, and I grew up listening to music and singing at home. In my teenage years, when I got to be young and a little cocky, I began to sing other stuff, but I wasn't singing worship songs and church songs, and I wasn't singing at church anymore. Stop singing to the Lord during those late teen years. For some reason, I got it in my head that for a young man to sing songs, to sing worship songs and to sing to the Lord, for some reason I thought that that wasn't cool, that real men didn't sing, that it wasn't masculine to sing. But now as an adult, I like to sing, and I like to sing in church, and I kind of like to think I'm masculine. (laughs) Mindy and I sang with our kids when they were growing up. She would sit at the piano, and they would rush into the room, and she would have them. I, I have memories of all of those four kids sitting on, trying to crowd in together on that piano bench with her, and to sing songs. And then we begin to buy CDs like DC Talk and Audio Adrenaline and Kirk Franklin. And we'd go on vacation and we'd pump that music out through that, through that minivan or whatever we were driving. And we would sing together. Psalm 96 makes a point that we glorify God through singing. Both as individuals and as a church family. There is a theology in our singing When we gather to worship, a first importance as we gather is the ministry of the Word. The Scriptures are what is to drive everything we do. It's in the Scriptures where we meet God. But other than the reading and the Scriptures and the preaching of the Word, the primary activity of the church when we gather is prayer and singing. Singing. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? Why does the Bible command us to sing to the Lord? Well, there's three reasons. First, it's an act of worship. Second, it's a means of discipleship. And third, it's a declaration to the world. So let me just kind of go through this. Do you consider your singing as an act of worship? The psalmist says we bless his name when we sing. It means we honor Him and we ascribe glory to him and magnify his name through our singing. Three times in the text we are commanded to sing. Do you sing? More women in the church sing than men. Lots of men in the church don't sing. Why is that? Why is it? Why is it that more men don't sing to the Lord? I wonder if some of you have bought into this fallen idea, this faulty notion that it's not masculine to sing. It's not what men do. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? I want to tell you something. You've heard me say this before. It takes a lot more strength and courage and guts to live for Christ than it does to live in the world. Anybody can live in the world. When I read and study the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry, I I see him as a man, as a man's man, as a masculine man, but also tender and gentle, fully used and fully under the control of the Father. But he sang when Jesus gathered with his disciples at the Passover meal after they had broken bread and and past the cup they began to sing a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives I I like thinking that Jesus sang I wish that all young boys and young girls could grow up and see and hear their dads sing with a strong loud masculine voice even if they can't carry a tune they would sing Uh, I uh Week after week, i watch Philip Nanny standing up here singing. He's kind of a masculine, manly-looking guy to me. And uh, he sings, and other men sing. Listen, you might as well, because in Revelation 5 through 7, the Bible says throughout eternity, you're going to be doing a lot of singing, so you might as well get used to it now. When my grandson was two and three years old, Will, he, he would ask me to do up and downs. Up and downs. You know what up and downs are? Yeah, I'd have him face away from me, and I'd put him in my arms, and I'd throw him up, and he'd come down. And I'd throw him up and come down, and up and down. We we'd do it over and over. He would laugh and laugh and laugh, and then uh, do it again, pops. Do it again, pops. He never got tired of going. Getting a little harder to do it now. He's about 50 pounds, so there's not too many up and downs and pops anymore. You want to know why God commands us to sing over and over and over and over? It's because he likes it. God delights in it. He never tires of us singing to him. Other than reading the word and preaching and prayer, the most important part of our worship is singing. And it's the voices I love the instrumentation and thankful for those of this church who use their gifts unto the Lord to facilitate worship, but hearing the voices of God's people gathered is the best. God is the audience. He's watching and he's listening, and singing is an expression, it's an act of us worshiping the Lord. Second, also singing is a means of discipleship. We sing, verse 2 says, we tell We tell of the good news when we sing. What we sing affects what we think. Did you know that one of the best ways to disciple and teach little children about God is through singing? And the content of what they sing matters. When I was a little guy, I was taught to sing songs about God. I'm in the Lord's army. You remember that one? Yes, sir. I may never... March in the infantry, shoot through, all that stuff. I learned the Lord's army. Or stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Stop and let me tell you. He forgave my sin. He saved my soul, cleansed my heart, made me whole. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. He's my rock, my sword, my shield. He's a hub in the middle of the wheel. He's the lily of the valley, the bright morning star. I don't care what people say. I'll get down on my knees and pray and pray and pray and pray pray, until Jesus comes. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Whisper a prayer in the morning. Whisper a prayer at noon. Whisper a prayer in the evening. It'll keep your heart in tune. My God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He held out his palms and asked for alms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Or David, listen to the story of General Saul. A man scared of a giant nine feet tall, the biggest man he'd ever seen with a sword like a weaver's beam. David, lay down your harp. It isn't time to sing. Lay down down your harp. It's time to get your sling. You won't sing this giant to sleep. So David, all of that, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but all of that has stayed with me my entire life, teaching songs about God and his word and who he is. It's not just for kids. Paul exhorts the Christians at Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. He says the same thing to the church at Ephesus. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ through singing. If you're serious about obeying God, you don't really have much choice then but to sing. Loud and proud. Even if you don't have a nice voice. In some of my Bible classes in college, we would sing, had a New Testament class, and Brother Larry Crow led that class, and every he just liked to sing, and so fifty or sixty guys every day before class would sing, and there was something special about that. Any of you if if you ever ever attended a Promise Keeper event several years ago, going into a stadium where there would be twenty-five thousand or fifty thousand men singing songs to the Lord, it's pretty powerful. Listen, it's one thing to say, God, I love you. But it's another thing to sing to him, I love you. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. There's something personal about singing to the Lord. If I said to you, hallelujah, 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 he shall reign forever and ever. That's okay. But if you sing, hallelujah, hallelujah, and he shall reign forever and ever, and he shall reign, there's something different about singing to the Lord. Do you sing? Will you sing? Do you sing as a family? Do you sing with your church family? Charles Spurgeon said regarding Psalm 96, there is no place in gathered worship for entertainment. He said, I fear that much religious singing is not to the Lord, but to the congregation's ear. Above all, in our song services, we must offer the sincerest and most fervent singing directly to the Lord. We're to sing to the Lord, to bless his name to proclaim who he is and to proclaim what he's done. The best songs we can sing are songs about him, songs that are vertical like Holy, Holy, Holy or the doxology or How Great Thou Art or All Creatures of Our God and King or All for a Thousand Tongues to Sing and there's lots of new songs as well, songs about God, songs directly to him. God is seeking glory for his name to be exalted. We do so through singing. Singing is an act of worship. Singing is a means of discipleship. But singing, the psalm says, is also a way to declare his name and his glory to the world, to the saved as well as to the lost. Sing all the earth. That includes the nations. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. And so we're to sing. We not only see the emphasis of singing in Psalm 96, but we also see the reason for our singing, and that's God is a glorious God, a glorious God. If you have your Bible, read with me verses 4 through 6 about God and his glory. The Lord is great, greatly to be praised, feared above all. All the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Do you sing privately? When you're alone? When you're in the car? When you're outside working? When you're driving, traveling? Do you sing alone? Do you sing corporately? And when you sing, do you sing half heartedly? Or do you determine to sing with your voice conveying to God your very best, your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength that he is a God worthy of your very breast and praise? I believe there's a correlation between worshiping and missions. Correlation. If we're not passionate about worshiping the Lord, it's not likely we're going to be passionate about witnessing you remember earlier from First Chronicles, when David's wife Michal saw David dancing and whirling around and singing, as she despised him in her heart, she was embarrassed. Did you know? If you continue to read on, that God judged her for that. God judged her. She became unfruitful, barren, unable to reproduce. There's a correlation. Listen, the nations will never be drawn to a God if His own people praise Him like they're doing their chores. If, uh, if somebody came to worship today, first time in this church, and maybe they weren't a Christian, and they came to church this morning, they sat next to you during the worship service, would that person leave thinking, wow, that, their God seems real. Those people sing like God was giving them hope, like God was holding them up, like God was giving them strength. How would people around you Determine your passion for God if they listen to you sing. Verse 5 says, all of the gods of the peoples are idols. It's kind of a play on words, literally all the, the word there, Elohim, the word for God, he says are Elohim, which is the word for nothing. In other words, the things that people treat as gods are really no gods at all. They're nothing at all. The things that many are devoting themselves to and who are seeking and investing in are nothing. The gospel truth is you will never find life and rest and peace without Christ. And I believe that's what verses four through six are conveying. There's only one true and living God who is to be praised and feared and who's glorious and is majestic. That's why we sing, because of who he is. And finally, not only do we have a glorious God, we have a global summons. Hillcrest, we as a church family, every one of us as followers of Christ have been given a mandate to make disciples, to spread the gospels, to go, and as a church, to send, to go and to send as we live, as we go, to live on mission for God. And when your eyes open in the morning, you have your first thoughts and your feet hit the floor that we'd have this sense that God, I'm on mission for you today. I want to glorify you in my marriage. I want to glorify you in my home. I want to glorify you and honor you in the workplace and represent you well throughout my day and to send. The church, all churches need to be sending teams, short-term teams, as well as individuals perhaps on a longer term to the nations. Where we go, where we send, where we pray, where we involve, those places should be strategic. You say, what do you mean by strategic? I believe that we should engage the nations where there is the greatest need. Even if some of those places on the earth are difficult and hard to get to, and even if it means it's against the law there's a higher law. Some of you might not know this, but over the last 10 to 15 years, our International Mission Board is pulling out our missionaries from places like Mexico and South America. We don't send people there anymore. Did you know that? Why do we not send those places? Because there's a gospel witness there. There's churches and Bibles and internet and broadcast. There's a Christian witness. We're sending all of our missionaries. There's over 4,000 families, 4,000 units that we support. Hillcrest Baptist Church that are being sent to the nations, and they're being sent to difficult places, unreached places. They're being sent to places where it's illegal. They're being sent to closed countries like, did you know that we have missionary families in North Korea? Where it's against the law, why are we doing that? Because the Bible commands us to take the gospel to the nations, to those who have never heard, who have never heard the name of Jesus. And listen, I've said this before, there's no place in the Bible that you can find that God is going to save them and atone for their sins apart from Christ. There's no other way that I that you find in Scripture. How are they going to be saved? How are they going to be to heaven? Well, maybe God will just be merciful and compassionate and let them all off the hook for their sins. You'll never find that in the Bible. They're lost. And so we sin. We sin to closed countries, to the nations where you can't be a Christian, to places where you cannot sing about Jesus, to places where if you are publicly baptized, you might incur imprisonment or even a death sentence. That's where we're sending our people. Verse three demands it. God says, "Declare my glory among the nations. It is a global call to worship. I've been personally in places, been all over, but been in places like Tanzania and Accra and Aceh and Kerinchi and Lombok, where throughout the day, in the middle of the night, you're going be awakened by a different call to prayer where imams are singing. They're singing to Allah on bullhorns set up throughout cities and villages with calls in different languages with distinct messages like God is great. None is worthy but God. The messenger of God is Muhammad," Hurry to pray. God is the greatest. There is no God but Allah. And do you know why that Islam is spreading and growing throughout the world today. It is a pagan religion, but it's growing. You know why? Because it's empowered by the enemy. Faith in Allah and worshiping Muhammad will not save anyone, but it's an empowered message. Verses 7 through 12 of this text says there is a different call, a true call to worship the one true living God who has revealed himself in both the written word, the scriptures, and he's revealed himself through the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10 is our mandate. Read it with me. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the nations, the people, in righteousness. He is the one who lived and died and rose again, the Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns over creation, who longs for the nations to sing to him and to bring him glory. Psalm 95, one through seven, also belongs to Psalm 96. These two psalms are a unit. What happens when the nations hear and turn and worship? Look at these last two verses of Psalm 96. Let the nations rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. God has a purpose. His purpose is in the gospel. He has a plan And that is for that gospel to go forth to spread. He has personnel. You and I are it. So why not us? Why not us? Why wouldn't we go to the nations? Why wouldn't we send as many people as we can to the nations to share the gospel? Why shouldn't we pray that God will call our youngest, best and brightest young people of this church to lay their lives down and go to the nations? Teenagers, college students, young married couples. Why wouldn't we pray that God would send them out of our church to the nations? You say, why, well, ah. Maybe somebody else's kids, maybe somebody else's grandson or granddaughter. Why not our kids? To go to the nations. Our mission to that end also involves singing. It's a command and it's a delight. He'll crest, let's be worshipers. Let's be worshipers. Will you get involved? some of you need to go listen to me some of you young people you're in juniors or seniors in high schools or maybe you're going into college would you just at least entertain the idea of opening your ear up to God's voice perhaps to answer a call to go to the nations oh brother charlie don't tell them that don't tell my son my daughter that don't tell our grandkids that listen to me don't listen to them would you at least open your ear and consider a call of God to invest your life to take the gospel to places where they've never heard, they've never heard, no access to the gospel, no church, no Bible in their language, no broadcast, no internet. They've never heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. let me close this morning when that's done and musicians to come our invitation this morning is to get more involved is to pray is to intercede and our invitation this morning is to give to invest i want to invite you to come in just a moment after i pray to come and to to bring your commitment cards, your mission offering envelopes, and place them here. You can kneel and pray as you do, and pray over them. But that's our that's our response today. Let me pray with you, Father. We offer ourselves to you today afresh. We present our bodies as living sacrifices unto you, which is only reasonable since what you've done for us. Father, I pray with all of my heart, with all the faith that I have, that you would use us as Hillcrest Baptist Church to have an impact upon lostness, have an impact to the nations, Father, I pray that there might be a young man or a young woman here today that would hear your call, would let go of the American dream and say, God, I want to give my life. I want to lay it down and to go to the nations, wherever you send me, however you could use me. God, I I pray that young people would hear your voice today. I know you're calling Father, bless this offering that we're about to give you. Would you use it for your glory? Would you send more and more couples and single women and single men, just of all ages, would you send them? Would they go? We pray and we thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.